came up to her after and I said, hey, Nikesta, my name is Ranisha. I'm working on a story. I'm trying to interview Kanye West. And I called his publicist, um, Gabe, and left a voicemail. And I sent him an email. And he hasn't gotten back to me yet. So what do you think I should do? And she looked at me like I had three heads. I'm literally 16 years old at the time. So so she was like, all right, I'm going to help you. We're going to take this back a little bit and we're going to, you know, aim a little lower, but I'm going to guide you through the process. And she ended up helping me secure my first celebrity interview, which once she did that, I'm like, oh, that's how you do it. And I was off to the races. Hi there, it's your host, Sewa Ajay Pele, and welcome to episode 61 of the She's Off Script podcast. This is a show where we hear and learn from women who've created unique blueprints for success. My hope is that you'll hear their stories and translate their gems into a unique path for yourself. In today's episode, we meet Rani Shabang. Rani is the founder and CEO of Her Agenda, a digital media platform that tells the stories of professionally ambitious millennial women of color. Ranisha was honored on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list, and before transitioning to run her agenda full-time, she also received an Emmy Award for her work as a journalist. While a platform like Her Agenda is a great way to expose women to the possibilities of careers in different industries, I also think its greatest selling points take place behind the scenes, especially within its forums where women of color can access the hidden job market. During our conversation, Ranisha takes us on her journey to building her agenda into the media powerhouse it is today. It took Ranisha eight years to build her agenda into a standalone and profitable business. So next time you start to feel like you should be further along with your side hustle or business, I want you to come back to Ranisha's story because she is a testament to the fact that good things come to those who persist. Before we hear the rest of Ranisha's story, I would love it if you could subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes. This will help to spread the word about our podcast so amazing stories like Ranisha's can continue to inspire women looking to launch their own off-script journeys. With that, let's go off-script with Ranisha Bing, the founder and CEO of Her Agenda. Ranisha Bing, welcome to She's Off-Script. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Looking forward to chatting with you. You know, I've watched you from afar for so long, so I'm glad you could make yourself available. But for anyone who hasn't come across you before, could you share who you are and what her agenda is? Yes, so my name is Ranisha. I'm a girl from Brooklyn. Well, really a woman from Brooklyn, you know. um, Age is, you know, it's so funny to think of yourself growing into a woman. But um, I am the founder and CEO of Her Agenda. I'm a journalist. And Her Agenda is a digital media platform bridging the gap between ambition and achievement. For millennial women, we really utilize the power of media to change the perception of opportunity for women by providing stories of women that have overcome obstacles, broken through barriers, and serve as the inspiration. And we also have a database of information that you may need to get started, to get in the rooms that you need to get into, and to get access to the resources so that you can then become the next inspiration for the next generation. How have you seen the gap you're describing, that gap between ambition and achievement? How have you seen that play out for millennial women? And how have you seen your platform impact that gap? 
Um, a lot of it is, it's a combination of things. It's a combination of, you know, a mindset, you know, knowing that you're equipped, knowing that you're capable. And often, you know, we won't know that unless someone tells us. And I was lucky very early on because I started to explore the idea of building a career at a very young age. I was able to come across a lot of women who had that wisdom who then said it and poured into me and said, you are equipped. And I came into sort of the professional world with that mindset. And that carried over into me eventually becoming an entrepreneur. It wasn't because I said, I want to be a founder. It was because I knew like no institution could define me, that I could do this work no matter where I was at. And I never defined myself by any type of outside entity or brand. So for example, if I worked for a place like I did work for this place, actually, I worked at NBC, you would see, you would not see my name on social media to be like NBC Misha or NBC, like I wasn't branding myself or connecting myself to an outside entity. I was a journalist. That was what I did. That was my craft. So part of it is that is just knowing that you're equipped, having that mindset, because a lot of what happens in that we try to avoid when it comes to empowering women is to say that it's all on them because it's also, like I said, a combination of factors. So while there is, you know, there are systems and things and processes in place that prevent women's ambition from actualizing things like, you know, not having access to equal pay, um, things like people not being as receptive to women negotiating. You know, people say women don't negotiate. That's partially true. Another part of it is that, you know, the perception when they do negotiate, it's seen as more negative. So all of those things you're fighting against, but we focus on, okay, what can you can control? You can control how you feel, how you react, how you respond, and how you come into the environment. And that's what we focused on. And honestly, it's it's hard to really kind of explain the full impact, but the, the stories and anecdotes I hear, you know, I went to an event the other day and a woman who works at Google now, she's like, I would have never worked here if it wasn't for her agenda. And I hear a lot of stories like that just by them seeing what is possible and what other women have done that look like them, it gives them that extra confidence to go for it, even if they don't feel 100% qualified and 100% ready, which, you know, most of the time, you know, you're more than qualified, but a lot of people feel like they're not ready, but you have to go for it. Let them tell you no. Don't tell yourself no. And that is really like what I try to hone in on with every event, every article, anything that we do. Just go for it. And, you know, if you get rejected, at least you tried. Exactly. And so you launched her agenda out of your dorm room. Nobody told you whether or not you could do it. You just went ahead and did it. And you've said like you felt like you were a failure because you didn't go on to work on her agenda full time right after college. Why did you feel that way? Because I, at that point, 
had started her agenda when I was a sophomore in college. I was going around her agenda this, her agenda that. And, you know, if I was doing a lot of internships and working um, and getting that experience, but my plan was, okay, when I'm out of this thing, I'm supposed to be on the path to becoming a mogul. I'm going to run my own company. I don't like to follow anybody else's routine. I don't like people to tell me where to be at what time. And it just felt like I was a fraud almost, like everything that I stood for wasn't true. And, you know, things just happen to you in life that you don't really realize are for you at that time. Because if I didn't have that experience of working for a full, like a full, like, I don't know how long it was, a year and a half, maybe close to two years, it helped me to really see what it's like inside a corporate media company on a day-to-day. Like in the internship world, it was nice. I was there for three months and I went back to my life. But to be there as a full-time employee, was way different experience. I got to really see something I take away from every job that I've had is just seeing the systems, like what systems are in place for this job to exist, for this um, product to exist in the world. Because at the end of the day, the product at NBC was the show, the five, six, um, and 11 o'clock news. And I also worked at Huffington Post and the product was the traffic and the stories and the, and the clicks and things like that. So to see those different systems was so helpful for me to then create my own systems when I actually was able to run her agenda full time. So I felt like a failure just because it felt like I was a fraud, like, okay, you said you were special, that you were going to be running this media empire. And now you're just, you know, at a desk like the, like everybody else. But a lot of times that has to do with what we think other people think of us. There's a little bit of that negative self-talk that we think other people agree with when they most likely don't. But it's also nice to see that full circle moment that you were able to learn so much from your corporate experience that you're now applying to her agenda today. Yeah. And I was quite frankly so naive to think that I could just kind of come out of school and just run this empire. I had zero dollars to my name. (laughs) I had maybe $500 in my bank account at the time from my little internship money, but I would not have survived on that. So at my first job, I ended up making 40K as salary. And actually they first offered, no, I made 42K. They offered me 40K, but there was a mistake. I didn't even negotiate, but there was a mistake with the paperwork and it bumped up like 2K. So I ended up, you know, with the mindset that I was not planning to stay for long term, I saved about 25K um, because I was living at home with my parents and I didn't have a lot of responsibilities and obligations. I cut back on going out, hanging out, going to brunch. If I was going out and hanging out, it was a free event or something with like, you know, free food or whatever. I didn't have to pay a lot of money to get around. Um, And yeah, I saved about 25K after that, which then gave me power when it came time for me to decide, am I going to continue on this path? Because it was time for my contract to renew. They gave me the option of, do you want this other position we're offering you or what do you want to do because I had that little cushion I felt like okay this is time for me to try and see what I can do on my own. I know you've also talked about 
coming to the realization that you were living in a bubble just being in New York City because you had access to all these high-powered Black women who mentored you. So kind of a triple barrel question here. Who were these women? How did you even get in front of them? And what did you learn from them? Man, oh my gosh. These women have shaped me in ways I can't even begin to tell you. So I started my career at 16. And what I started to do is I started to go to a lot of different programs and workshops. My journalism teacher, he he was fantastic and told the students all the time about different workshops. So the New York Association of Black Journalists ran a high school journalism workshop, which I signed up for. Every Saturday, we went to LIU to learn the craft from actual professional journalists. And at the time, to me, as a 16-year-old, to know that you know a person that looks like me who came from where I came from was the editor of magazines that I read all the time, like editors of Vibe, uh, editor at Associated Press, all of these different types of people. It blew my mind. I'm like, wait a second. What? So it was just, that just completely opened the door for me. So one of my first mentors was Nikessa Moody, who is now the global entertainment director at the Associated Press. At the time, she was the entertainment reporter. So she came in to just tell us her story. And I came up to her after and I said, hey, Nikesta, my name is Ranisha. I'm working on a story. I'm trying to interview Kanye West. And I called his publicist, um, Gabe, and he left a voicemail. And I sent him an email. And he hasn't gotten back to me yet. So what do you think I should do? And she looked at me like I had three heads. <laughs> I'm literally 16 years old at the time. So um, just to rewind a bit, they let us write our own stories. So we had to pitch stories and then work on them. So this is the beginning of AOL, Google, the internet, all that. So this was like 2005, 2006. I was in, yeah, 2005, around there. So I just went on Google and Googled Rockefeller Records, found the number, called them and told them I was a journalist, asked to be um, connected to Kanye West's publicist, they connected me because at that time it was legit only journalists calling to do something like that. Now, you know, so many people have their own platforms and things where they try to get access to these type of people. But because of the way that that time was, it was something where like they didn't think twice about putting me through. So she was like, all right, I'm going to help you. We're going to take this back a little bit and we're going to, you know, aim a little lower, but I'm going to guide you through the process. And she ended up helping me secure my first celebrity interview, which once she did that, I'm like, oh, that's how you do it. And I was off to the races. I was just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in New York. I'm around all of these like celebrities and things. So I'm going to make that my niche to target new artists, reach out to them and meet them where they are, go to their shows, do interviews backstage and write about it on my own. So my first interview was um, actually with Chris Brown. And then I interviewed that year, like Fifi Dobson, Mario, um, a few other artists. And that was it. And another woman who was really big in my early days was a woman who's a DJ, radio personality, a journalist. Her name is Rakia Mays. And she, at the time, was on two radio stations and ran a magazine in her spare time with her colleagues. And I went up to her because I wanted to enter for her. I wanted to learn from her. She came to speak to another program that I was part of. And I was like, this woman sounds like she's really busy and she needs help. Because I could tell she was one of those people just kind of moving and shaking, doing it herself. 
And I would go to her house after school in bedside and, you know, organize her contacts and help her to organize things. She was working on a book. I would go to her, go with her to panels and events. And I ended up being in an issue of Vibe Vixen magazine because she brought me to a roundtable interview she was doing um, that was a response to comments that Don Imus had made about Black women being nappy-headed. Mm-hmm. And that set off a whole dialogue and debate and just kind of almost like a movement, a counter movement of we can't let this happen. So it was Rakia. It was um, a woman named Alicia Butterfield. It was um, the, the choreographer that works with Diddy, Gloria Gibson, uh, Little Mo, Roxy Diaz, and I'm there. Wow. Just because you made yourself available to her, look at where she's taking you. And she fought for it too. She actually was just saying, you know, this is great that we have all these celebrity women, but they're all older women. What about the next generation? Mm -hmm. And she you need to be a voice in this room. So that's why I am the way I am. You see how like I've been around strong women, strong women, but strong women that don't only do the work and advocate for themselves, but they advocate for others. They always are opening the door, pouring into the next generation. And I couldn't be anything else. And so I literally built a business that does that. And I love seeing that you have been able to replicate your experience growing up with your platform. So other people who don't necessarily live in New York or any other place like New York can digitally access all these women. So I read that it did take almost eight years for her agenda to become profitable. So that is a long time to work on something before seeing the return. So how much of your own money did you put into it before it turned to profit? Oh, man. Um, I put everything into it. I literally, like I said, 2008 started it. Um, I actually went back to look recently because I'm working on a story about... um, with GoDaddy about, um, you know, like my experience being an entrepreneur. And I went and I, I bought my URL through GoDaddy. And I went to see what was the actual date I bought the URL. I bought the URL in December 2007. Launched the website in 2008. Then um, went you know, to work at NBC. Um, and then I tried to do it on my own after that. So that was around 2012-ish and didn't work out, went back to work at HuffPo because I ran out of money, literally like put everything into her agenda. And then it was at that point that I finally got into an accelerator. An accelerator is a way for entrepreneurs to get access to funding, to mentors and networks and partners that can allow you to grow and scale your company. So 2015, I left HuffPo, did the accelerator and after that, everything shifted because it gave me the business part that I couldn't figure out, like that, like the ability to um, create financial forecasts, the ability to communicate about my company in different ways to different audiences. I sort of had like, like my one thing that I would say to everyone and it wasn't really translating. And I didn't realize it because again, I was in this kind of bubble of like people that I knew and people, you know, that I saw in New York and they knew of me or they heard of me before I even introduced myself. So I didn't really have to do a pitch where I had to bring people through the journey. 
And um, it really transformed everything. That year, I actually did also go without a salary. Um, but what I was doing was building up the audience and the brand. And I made a little bit of money enough to like justify keeping going. So I did maybe an event, a panel every month in 2015. I think we did like seven or eight panels. We skipped a couple of months and charged for tickets. And um, we did um, little partnerships that would allow uh, our panelists to be driven, you know, there and back and things like that. Partnerships are key. Key, key, key. Like that made my little panel event with no budget look like it was, you know, something where I had some type of sponsor or something like that. But it was all strategic partnerships. Like we didn't pay for the space. That space was uh, through a strategic partnership that I had with the co-working space that I worked out of, which is in New York called Alley NYC. And they partnered with me on this event to also help with the branding and the marketing. So they made the flyers and sent it out to their newsletter because for them, they looked at it as also a win for them because, you know, that was an, one event that they, they didn't have to plan, but they could still put their name on it mm-hmm. and also acquire new members. Strategic I, partnerships. Mm-hmm. I was able to get space, marketing, all of that. And all I had to do was focus on the programming and getting volunteers there to help set up the space. That was it. And that was key. That was how I brought, you know, that feeling that I want on the website to life. I gave people, you know, insight into what we're about, who we are, and developed, like, the baseline of our audience, which was key for me for a lot of reasons. Like, every event was sold out, like, about 100 women at every event. And it also helped for me. The 2016 was the year I started to get sponsored panels and events because I had proven that I'm able to produce a quality event, get people in the room. I had professional photographs, video, um, which lucky for me, I have friends that work in video and photography and they just kind of like did it all for the love. But 2016, I'm like, we're not going to continue this. I'm paying y'all. I'm going to figure it out. And I did figure it out. Wow. Throughout all this, are you still staying at home? Still at home. I didn't move out until I was about 27, 28. So that's amazing so. that you have that luxury, I would say, because you had saved that 25K, it ran out, but you still had the cushion of, you know, some of your living yeah. expenses were taken care of, which is good, yeah. which is really good to have that perspective where a lot of people are rushing to be independent and live downtown and live that lifestyle. If that's out of alignment with your goals, you got to reevaluate. And also looking back, you know, I was a little bit uncomfortable and I think being uncomfortable um, and not feeling like settled. If I had an apartment, I would feel like, okay, I'm a grown up. I'm going to, I'm like, good. Um, but because I was a little bit uncomfortable, it pushed me to like, get out the house, go to this, go to that. I was going to literally like every kind of like conference event that I could go to really like being out there because I didn't want to be home and being and feeling like my parents were gaming, like, why is she laying around this house? Like just on the computer all day and not doing anything. So I had to make stuff happen because I had to justify the fact that I was still at home. I wasn't working anywhere. I could work somewhere, but I wasn't. And, you know, making making those kind of moves. But 2015 transformed everything. And I also then, you have to make sure when you do these events, don't just do it for the photos and the videos on Instagram. 
you need to actually be capturing the data. What's the demographic of the people that come? What is the average age? What is the experience that they have? Like, what can you do better? When you're the event host and organizer and everything, you don't see everything. You need to also evaluate the experience of the attendees and get that and capture that data. Yeah, word of mouth will keep them coming back. And you want to build the thousand true fans base because they are the ones who are going to turn into your evangelists in the future. So that's mm-hmm. a very good point. Don't just do it for the gram. Actually do a good job at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this point in the evolution of her agenda, you had started to get some funding. I didn't. I just started to level up on and double down on getting branded content and, and, and sponsorship through um, what, we've, what we had built. Like we grew the audience. We had, you know, different channels that, brands could tap into. So I just really doubled down on on that because I intended to raise money, but it got to a point where I felt like if I was going to fundraise, I would have to stop doing the business. Like Mm, you can do both run the business and uh, fundraise at the same time. So I decided instead of fundraising, I'm going to focus on revenue. And I'm going to um, just double down on that. So our first actual recurring stream of revenue was a private network that we built that is called Her Agenda Insiders. It's a private community that lives on Slack where our audience has access to each other. They have access to exclusive events that we can't post on the website um, for instance, if I get invited to a lunch or a dinner and I can't go, I usually say, can I invite my network and I'll share it there. Um, any jobs, job leads and things like that, that I get, I put in that group. Then you also have people who work at companies like Twitter or, um, Microsoft or any of these like brands, Beats and they might know about a job before it gets posted and they'll post it in the group. So it's different things like that. And we also have digital programming that happens where twice a month, a woman comes in and it's like asking anything for an hour. And we have women like, you know, who's someone that you would know probably that came in. Um, We have a lot of big names, big names that you would like love to sit across from to have coffee with, but, while maybe you don't have time or have access to do that, you can do it in this group. So we, uh, we have two pricing tiers. One is $9.99 a month if you want to do month by month. The other is $100 flat for the year. That was first. That was key. I'm like, wow, like people want this. They're like opting in their pain. And then the next thing was figuring out, like, how do I get sponsorships? How do I get these brands that I use and love and I know my audience uses and loves and knows to actually give me money to produce content to promote their products and brands. So I put together some pitch decks and I just went to like Google and looked up like, you know, there's agencies that represent these brands. It's not like you go to the brand directly. So I started to go to the agencies. I also get a lot of email pitches from publicists who represent brands. I use them as a gateway. Like it's just about really like putting yourself in front of them. And then I started to get more strategic about it. Like I would, like I learned back from when I worked is, you know, creating systems. And a lot of all these like branded content campaigns, what I recognize is, you know, you see a lot of the same media companies being used again and again. 
it's just because it's not anyone's fault. It's because people have limited time and limited access to like, you know, and limited ability to like research and really dig. So if you're not top of mind, if you're not visible, if you're not discoverable, they're not going to think to include you. And so my mission after I got my first couple of sponsorships is just, I'm going to make sure that I am discoverable. Like and how do you do that? So I did that by literally researching all the different agencies that represented the brands that I wanted to work with, contacting them, or seeing who I knew that worked there that could help to set up a meeting. And I just did these like casual things called lunch and learns where I come in for an hour. I bought all the account managers lunch, which is maybe like 75 bucks, 80 bucks is like 10, 12 people and do a little like, hello, my name is Ranisha, bring you through the journey of her agenda in terms of like what our capabilities are, what we can do, like sponsored newsletters, sponsored events, um, video campaigns and just bringing them through and helping them understand what we are and who we are so that when they're in planning mode and they're like in the room at the board table and they're like, all right, we're doing this women's initiative. Who should we bring in? Obviously, you know, they're going to say companies like Refinery29 and, you know, um, Team Vogue and whatever other big publications. But now that they've had that experience, they'll know like her agenda is a name that falls within that category as well. So it's that. Also, what helps too is press, getting um, press opportunities just to get your name out there so that, you know, when you do approach these companies, a lot of it was cold emails and stuff, but they will look me up and see, oh, she's been in Forbes. Oh, she's been in Business Insider. Oh, she's done X, Y, and Z. She's not just, you know, this random girl trying to like get free stuff. (laughs) Mm. And so now with the benefit of hindsight, what advice would you give someone looking to launch their own digital media platform today? Um, I would say build the community first. I kind of did it like that, but in a zigzaggy way, I started out with like focusing on the website had to be perfect. And like, this has to be like this and you have to have this type of content. And then when I did those events, that's when it was like really clicking and I was proving that this was a thing. So I would say, you know, like start an event series, do a brunch series, do a, a, a panel series, do something and like brand that like really strong and make sure that you have a place for that community to convene afterwards, whether that's a newsletter or it's a Google Hangout or a Slack, just build the community first and then build the platform and it is gonna like change everything. That's like gonna be the strongest thing because I find that I think the future of media is really community and in real life experiences. That is what all of these media companies are trying to do now. That's why you have Team Vogue has the Team Vogue Summit and you know Forbes does like all of these conferences and things like that. Essence has been doing it like with the Essence um, Essence Fest. So community events and then build the platform after. With everything that you have going on, I'm curious, what does a day in your life look like? A day in my life is, it really depends on what time of year. Like right now, it's a little bit, it's just a lot of like me on a computer <laughs> almost all day. But I try to structure my days in, um, in bulk. So today, actually, because I'm talking to you, I have a few other interviews I'm doing and I'm doing that all afternoon. 
But my mornings, really, I like to focus on, you know, what actually I need to get done for myself and the company without looking at what is being requested of me. So I don't check my email first thing in the morning. I check um, my Trello board, which has all my projects and what's prioritized and what I need to do. I get started on that first before anything. And then I come into the office. I come in a little bit later, like around 10, 30, 11, because I'm very sensitive to energy. This is just like straight up. And I hate the energy of rush hour in the morning. Everybody feels so like depressed and down and just feels like you're in this rat race. And I don't like to come in with that energy. So I wait for them to go (laughs) into their offices. And then I go to this office that I have in Chelsea. And um, I'll have you know, either meetings all afternoon, because like I said, I like to schedule everything back to back, or I'll be writing all afternoon, or I'll be spending my time pitching and following up. So it's a lot of emails. Or I'll spend my day um, chasing down our contributors to see if they are finished with their piece. Like I also still manage a column that we do called the power agenda. It's a peek inside her agenda every Monday that runs and I assign the writers and deadlines and edit. So I spend like sometimes part of my day doing that. So it's a lot. Wow, you are busy. And so we really appreciate you giving us part of your very busy day to day. With that, I just want to thank you for all the gems that you dropped today and wanted to know for anyone who's now very interested in her agenda, where can they follow along and get better connected with you? You can follow us on at her agenda on Instagram, Twitter, um, Facebook, if you're on there. We also would love to have anyone who's listening part of our insider community to sign up for that. You just go to heragenda.com. There's a button on the top right that says subscribe, and that will lead you to an application that will invite you to apply for the insider community. And I'm everywhere. I'm all over the insider community. I see every tweet and Instagram still is on my phone. So that's the best way to reach me. But if it's a professional request, I ask that you email me and that can be found on my website, ranisha.com. Sounds good. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. I'm so glad you made it to the end of today's episode. If you enjoyed the episode, please go on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and write us a review. As always, don't forget to share this episode with your friends, family, colleagues, anyone who cares to listen. We'll talk to you next time.